So Bernice then starts talking about the interaction of public opinion with the forces that help make it. So the forces that help make public opinion, this this phantasm that uh, public relations guru Bernays has fabricated out of his ass. So this sounds pretty insidious. <clears throat> the public opinion and the forces that help make it. So Bernays strikes me as a, as a fool who thinks um, he can control complex systems. Now, I'm sure a lot of you are aware of complex systems. It's not just something that's complicated. A complex system is something that is vastly complicated, like each. Anyways, so I, 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 you know, I don't mean like, like a complex system, like a car, right? I mean a uh, complex system with chaos theory involved, like the weather. It's evident that the, uh, the public opinion can be steered or at least um, influenced in some insidious way. Right, proceeding in a gradual, subtle way, but with harmful effects. You know, it's insidious. So Bernays claims the press modify. <clears throat> At different times, he claims different things, but he claims the press modify public opinion. Right, but let's be clear. It, his early examples utilized more than just the press. When we think back to the hairnet company example and the uh, the bacon, more bacon example, right? It, it's he used uh, big bacon's pre um, predetermined medical truths that uh, their hired doctor articulated, right? Then that deception was propagated via all possible forms of communication media. So it's interesting that Bernays frames this chapter or this portion of the book I can't remember if it was a chapter just must have been a chapter I don't know but the the interaction of public opinion with forces that help make it so public opinion um as if it has a a consciousness of its own right Uh, a meme theory perhaps this is just a uh, a manifestation of Bernays dehumanizing his targets it's a uh, it's a detached way, a detached way of thinking of uh, of framing that he is only targeting, you know, or, or working with, you know, homeless opinions, and not what they actually are, or, or or you know what they're really doing, which is messing with people's minds without their permission or awareness. Now, <clears throat> I'm trying to cut back on my swearing, so. When I say messing with somebody's minds, I mean something more, <laughs> right? So um, keep that in mind. Um, so if I say messing from now on, that means, you know, something more than just messing. Uh, put an F in front of it. So um, also interesting word choice uh, with the forces, uh, which, you know, that, that help make it, right? So which evokes imagery of a, of a force like magnetism or perhaps you know, a military force, right? Something powerful in, in any event. And the, uh, the benevolent tag that it, that, that help make it right. Help. Ooh, the word help. It must be good. It's benevolent help. Oh, it's helping, right? Helpful, right? What a load of shit. This guy's talking about manipulating people's minds, a non bullshit translation of what Bernays uh, is saying is would be something along the lines of attack strategies 
on unsuspecting targets for the gain of malevolent sociopaths. <laughs> That's this is the there's a truthful translation, and then there's what the PR people say, right? So Bernays notes actions and interactions are ongoing between forces projected out to the public and the public itself. So these forces are not projected out. Uh, you know, it's like a helping hand, right? The, the, the imagery that they're using, right? It's uh, they're, they're, they're a, a secret spear thrust out in attack of the phantom world of the mind. <laughs> there is no blood, so the targets usually don't know that they've been assaulted or warped to the will of some public relations client by public relations and all their uh, ancillary um, I can't think of the word, people, connections, uh, mechanisms. Uh, Bernays claims PR must understand what these forces of manipulation are, and he must be able to evaluate the relative powers with fair accuracy. This makes sense. So for our purposes, we too must understand them if we have any hope of defending our psyche from malevolent attack. So first, we must be aware that it's happening. Second, what te techniques are they using? Third, how do we defend ourselves and others? And fourth, how do we counterattack? Now, sadly, a lot of people haven't even reached step one. <laughs> They're not even aware that it's happening, right? So of course, our uh, studying critical thinking and logical fallacies are a prerequisite, prerequisite. But just being aware of it blunts the weapon, and puts a major chink in their armor. Thinking PR and their ilk do not have any impact on us is the cognitive distortion of minimalization. Conversely, thinking that PR and their kind are all-powerful is the cognitive flaw of magnification. There aren't, uh, they aren't all-powerful, uh, but they do and can have great impact different people, different effects. The fact that they have any effect on us or our actions, our opinions, our mode of thought is sufficient to cause uh, alarm and, and justification for vigilance. Our society and almost everyone I know understate or underestimate the impact of the perception management complex. I did too. Until my eyes were open, I had this teacher in high school who tried to warn us a little bit about it. And uh, I thought, ah, you know, it can't be as bad as he's saying. I, I've seen the news. They're just innocuous. They just talk about the weather and tires and wintertime and boring news stuff, right? So, and then you start looking closer and, and it's things that are important. You start realizing, holy shit, right? Buddy was right. So, I, you know, I'm not talking about... Um, overt advertising or publicity for businesses, uh, a book or an event. I'm talking about the convincing of things people would not believe if they had sufficient facts and the techniques to determine what is closest to the truth as possible. So we all instinctively try to determine that, but when we are unaware of the vulnerabilities of the undefended mind, malevolent forces capitalize on these hacks. So knowing something is, a, is an optical illusion doesn't stop our minds 
from seeing that illusion, right? So judgment is of critical importance for such things as what is, you know, fit to print, you know, for news media, while keeping an eye on the, the number of readers they are keeping or losing. So the true business of news media is, is there for eye minutes, how long your eyes are, you know, reading their stuff, right? So, so this is the, uh, that is attention from, you know, as many eyeballs as possible for the longest period of time. So the point is judgment of the paper uh, is critical to its well-being. And PR know this, yet it is the judgment of the targets they attack uh, with no concern for the target's well-being. So for, you know, for example, convincing as many people as possible that more bacon, regardless of what you were eating before, more bacon is a medical truth as being beneficial. You know, it's a, no regard to the adverse health effects or the, you know, the shortened lives, you know, the, the and probably deaths, you know, given uh, the large enough pool, you know, from cardiovascular disease from eating so much more bacon. Right? So Bernays, uh, so long as the bacon, the meat packers make more money, that's all they care, right? So, so Bernays repeats that while the press are forming public opinion, not modifying or altering, as he said earlier, but forming, they are also conforming to it. Now, so the, the press conform to the narrative that, the, that they are creating, right? The poor souls, right? It's clear bullshit. So it's, it's odd that the press who, uh, you know, you think about, they introduced the world to Al-Qaeda and the Islamic State atrocities. Yet that same press wrapped the public's knuckles for being Islamophobic, right? It's quite a 180. Now, if it, many of you are old enough, but maybe some of you aren't, the two or three people that listen to this. Uh, and after 9-11, the, uh, there was massive anti-Al-Qaeda, anti-Islamic state uh, news articles on all mainstream media which kind of makes you think that they might be controlled by some intelligence agencies, perhaps, or the military, or Pentagon or something. Hmm. But even in Canada, right? So less, less so in, in Canada. And then, you know, a few years later, um, after, you know, George W's gone and everything else, then now the news media are 180 degrees. If you do not like their ideology, you're Islamophobic, right? So if, if one had to speculate, it would mean... It would seem that the it was the CIA or the military industrial complex, so more than just the Pentagon, the, the you know the big private. I'm thinking of probably uh, Boeing or Lockheed or any any corporations along those lines that are involved in the military industrial comp- complex that pushed uh, the anti-Islamic uh, narrative post 9/11. So the question then is, who is pushing the Islamic uh, Islamophobic narrative now? Is it Saudi Arabia's royal family? Is it Iran? Uh, it comes, you know, out of the mouth of the globalist WEF types, uh, World Economic Forum types, like um, like Justin Trudeau. So, why would they protect that relig- religious ideology while not the others, while actually fomenting hate against the others and allowing churches in Canada? There was this time when they were pushing this narrative. They would make assertions and assumptions about certain things, and then the massive amount of churches were being burned all across Canada. And oh, that's not anti uh, whatever religion those churches happen to be. 
It's, it's, you know, oh, it's understandable. Really? That's understandable? Burning fucking, you know, religious buildings. <laughs> All right. So it's, it's not an even handed defense of individuals right to believe whatever nonsense they wish, or we would be hearing about the phobias that led to the churches being burned. Right. But no, this, this is something else. Burning a mosque is a hate crime, but burning a church is not. How come? How come burning a mosque would be a hate crime, but burning a church is not a hate crime? A key line from Bernays is the office of the PR council to determine the interaction between the public and the press and the press and other mediums affecting public opinion. So it's the office of the PR to determine the interaction between the public and the press and other mediums affecting public opinion. So the press are only responsible for their interaction uh, of the public. Maybe not even, because he even says it's PR's responsibility to determine the interaction between the public and the press. It's not the press's uh, you know, responsibility. It's public relations' responsibility to determine the interaction of the public between the public and the press. Think about that, right? As well as the press and other mediums of public opinion. So... So be uh, PR determine this interaction, right? So it, it's not just exposure, but the experience. Bernays claims it's important to conform to the standards of media as it is to present ideas that conform to what the public will digest. So here we go. So this is a bit of the limits. So the only limits is what the public would be willing to believe, right? To what the public will digest within uh, belief limits and moral limits of the target. So they may not believe it if it's a little too much, right? So the BS has to be presented in a fresh fashion and presented in a way so that the targets will swallow the bait, right? Catch their eye and, and, and make them bite. So this is the feedback or control the public has over the press. The BS has to be presented <clears throat> within, uh, the belief limits of the targets. So not what they believe, but within the extents of what they will believe. However, something the public will believe, but which the forces of opinion formation do not want them to, will be smeared as palpable absurdity. And the authority of that, uh, of, of that source of information will be attacked with great vengeance and furious anger, those who attempt to poison and destroy my brothers. And you will know I am the Lord when I lay my vengeance upon you. Bang, bang, bang. Pulp Fiction. If you have no idea what I'm talking about. Classic Samuel L. Jackson. So a recent example of this is when Twitter, Facebook, and the lying journalists claimed the Hunter Biden laptop story was Russian disinformation based on zero evidence, right? So they, they, in fact, knew it was true and, uh, and, and they claimed it wasn't. So they were actively spreading disinformation and trying to hide it from the public. So they ignored the evidence around the laptop. Well, I shouldn't say they ignored it. They suppressed the information, but they based their, uh, their false narrative on nothing but false stories and they blocked and censored those who dared repeat the truth. So this is not them just getting it wrong. This is something they knew 
right? Following their normal standard SOPs, right? They knew it was true. And they just were going out of the way to spread disinformation, to lie, and to and to block the people who are actually telling the truth. This is what our journalists and Google and Amazon-based uh, servers, right? Wasn't uh, the whole deal, right? And uh, Twitter and Facebook and all the the mainstream media, and of course the the uh, the left leaning uh, the left aisle of the politics, right? Were uh, we're all in league. <laughs> They're all sharing the same lie, right? And it wasn't like they were, oh, we just got it wrong. Fuck that. I mean, uh, what was the word I was supposed to use instead of? Uh, I can't remember. <laughs> so re- reflect on that for a moment. If social media banned and silenced people who were speaking the truth you know, about that, what other truths has the social media and this, this newly... Uh, this new complex of uh, of big tech, mainstream media, uh, uh, the left aisle of politics, there and uh, I'm sure the the public health, right? Well, they weren't involved in this specific one, but I mean, they all seem to be a league with false, this, a major false narrative. So I guess it depends on the PR, like who funded that, right? It has to have been something like massive military or somebody with really really deep pockets this isn't just a a, a you know a democrat party uh trying to silence that because they unless they have total control over the news media and google and twitter and facebook right right it, it's it is when you stop and look and take a beat it is it is really spooky so it's this is the evidence that uh henry lewis i don't know if it's louis is it Lewis or Louis? Henry uh, Lewis Mencken. Maybe I'll call him Louis. Louis sounds funner. Henry Louis Mencken tried to warn us about a uh, hundred years ago. Is Louis French? Louis. Louis. I guess it could be. So it appears that uh, Bernays is trying to point out the challenge of the press is not only to entertain the public, but manipulate the public while at the same time entertaining them. Like some seductive succubus that 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 enchants us, while unbeknownst to us, slowly pierces our mind with their 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 fangled uh, tentacle and and sucks the life force out of us until we are uh, mindless drones to her will. <laughs> so, uh, Bernays quotes his his enemy and our friend Henry Louis Mencken again about how the press pleases the crowd. So this is what he says. The way they set about giving the good show was by first selecting a deserving victim and then putting him magnificently to the torture. So this was their method when they were performing for their their own profit only, when there was uh, one motive to make the public read the paper. But it was still their motive when they were battling bravely and unselfishly for the good, for the public good, in discharging the highest duty of the profession. So I interpret, you know, Mencken, of course, to be sarcastic at the end, right? From what little I know of the guy, given the other motive is to manipulate the public. So Bernays mentions the complementary working forces in movies, for example, with the producers, actors, and the press in their support are waging battle against censorship. 
You ever wonder why sometimes you see news pushing a movie, right? Is this news? Is it news that you're pushing a new movie, right? So the, the, the key point in context in a book about PR, he mentions how the press work with the movie industry. So take from that what you will. <laughs> now, of course, not the, the movie industry. I'm sure there's not a monolith. There's a lot of varying uh, actors, actors, varying actors in the movie industry, varying actors in the industry at play. Like, uh, you know, different producers have different, you know, points of view and some are maybe more, uh, I don't know, I can't think of the word right now. Um, so Bernays claims uh, censorship will last as long as the public allows it to. So is he so concerned, you know, with censorship? You know, is there some PR schemes he wants to do but can't because of censorship? Or is he implying censorship as a weapon to be used by PR? In modern times, many people, including myself, screamed about how wrong it was to censor the true story of Hunter Biden and his laptop. But the censorship not only persisted, it grew more encompassing. And by blocking the people who, who spoke the truth, you know, this is the level of they, which they went. I agree some things should not be publicly broadcast, but those certain things within, you know, should not be hidden by those seeking that information out. Like, for example, this Hunter Biden laptop. This should have been broadcast. But there are other stories that maybe shouldn't be broadcast, but that information shouldn't be hidden. But this is within reason and judgment. Of course, there are certain things that the public maybe should be not aware of, uh, maybe not not aware of, but uh, yeah, I guess if if there's, you know, uh, national secrets, right? You think of something that, you know, could could harm the the uh, the nation, you know, if the enemy's got hands on like like trade secrets or how to make, you know, some uh, some super plasma uh, destructo weapon, you know, some of that stuff maybe shouldn't be publicly available information. Right? That kind of makes sense, uh, you know, because there might be bad actors within the public, but there are also maybe bad actors outside of the public. And if it's public information, then people outside the country like the jet engine. I'm not sure how many of you know the history of the, the jet engine, but there was this British guy, uh, Whittle, who uh, was fighting the incompetent morons in the British government and British military by designing and coming up with the, the jet engine in like 1920s and 30s. And they were fighting him the entire time and, you know, calling him an idiot. And, you know, well, I mean, I'm, I'm sure they, I don't know if they specifically if they called him an idiot, but the, pretty much their actions determined that, you know, that's what they were thinking. Right, they are blocking him and stopping him, and they screwed him over. And uh, he he and he he um, patent the jet engine. And so when the Nazis came around in, in the thirties, they saw his patent, and so they took his his jet engine and built, you know, the first you know jet engine. The Nazis, uh, the jet engines, and the stupid British morons, you know would have in, in government and military like this. It's why does the government and military have to be so stupid? Right. Anyway, so they, they fought him. They did. They, they, it's not that they didn't support him. They actively almost, you know, shut him down, made it difficult for him to do anything. Right. Uh, so I can't remember what my point was. Um, oh, that information. Yeah. So that information was public, right? He patented it. And, uh, and, and that's what, that's what happened. So now the Nazis got his information because that information was public. 
and if the, the British government weren't such complete fucking idiots, which I'm sure they still are today, possibly even worse, you know, they would have helped him develop that technology uh, in such a manner like the Americans did. Once the Americans got their hands on this this technology, they were like full force. They had uh, Boeing and, well, the modern military industrial complex. These guys, Rolls-Royce actually, once they got their hands on it too, they were like, yeah, we're we're, we're we're both feet on this technology and poor Whittle ended up getting screwed. And it was the whole situation was bid that he couldn't even go in competition against the other guys over his own invention. So, I mean, the guy totally got the shaft, you know, anyways. So not only, um, getting back to Hunter Biden, right? So not only is that, uh, should that Hunter Biden story have not been censored, it should have been broadcast and it should have been, you know, made available to the public, right? If, if, and it would have been by a class of valid journalists, but which it wasn't, which tells us everything we need to know about the efficacy and validity of journalism today in mainstream media. I remember actually talking to people at a coffee shop and there was one guy who knew the story and he and I talked about it and the other guys were all mainstream sheep. And they were like getting angry at us for talking about the story. And we're like, well, what are you, why, what are you getting upset over? You know, it's a, it's a valid story. Like it's, it's true. And it's amazing how people can be manipulated. Now, I don't know what they heard in mainstream media that made them upset, uh, or, or triggered them to be upset when we would talk about the hunter, maybe because they were so, uh, I don't know, anti-Trump that they assumed that since we were talking about Hunter Biden's laptop, that we were advocating for Trump in some way by exposing the story about Hunter Biden's corruption, his, his kids' corruption, and the the whole Ukrainian thing back way back then. So, an example of how PR manipulated the public to endorse something they would otherwise condemn is the play uh, "Damaged Goods." So according, you know, according to Bernays, it's, it's a really old play, you know, it goes back to the, whatever the twenties damaged goods. Apparently it was some sort of sexual liberation crap, right? So PR figured, um, back in the day, it would be condemned by the public and believed, uh, in, you know, in education and truth, which are of course two separate things, right? There's same with science, right? There's, there's different meanings to the word science. There's the literal interpretation and then there's a natural interpretation that public relations can manipulate. And it's a false meaning, right? Just like education, education should be, you know, instructing and showing new ways and, and, you know, adding to your, your, your schemata. But a lot of times education can be uh, conscripted to manipulate people away from the truth or towards something else, right? So, so instead of educating the public with the, with the play as is, uh, they needed a, uh, the PR needed a large dose of manipulation. So the PR allowed group leaders and groups interested in education to come to support the drama, to sponsor the production. They were allowed to come to sponsor it. Oh, we're allowing you to come and sponsor. You see how they really? <laughs> Anyways, so I'm, I'm, I'm going to allow you to support this drama in order for me to cash in on your prestige of position. Cool? See you there. <laughs> this is, right, where's the quid pro quo? So what did the manipulators give to those group leaders? What the public relations give to those group leaders that came to the play? Right. They allowed them to come, right? In exchange for their using their reputation. 
right? Bernays doesn't say what they did, right? But he, he's trying to make an argument that the public and those who manipulate them interact. No doubt they interact, right? So, so why is he arguing this point? I, th- I think he's using a weird convoluted explanation to show instances where manipulation had effect. So he cites uh, books there at uh, where at one point were condemned and they were later demanded. That change of opinion is implicitly due to the manipulation of PR given his context, which it may not be. There's zeitgeist. Now I'm sure manipulation and advertising and all kinds of factors go into the zeitgeist of, a, of, a, of an era or an epoch. An epic. I'm not sure. Is it epic or epoch? Jesus. Anyways, um, so you have the zeitgeist, you know, the, the sort of the collective. Um, it's 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 a it's a vague, general, not specific. Um, like people, when you hear a stale joke, right? Generally, people might not find that joke uh, humorous anymore, right? Because they've been exposed to it. That's sort of the zeitgeist, right? Sort of uh, a, a type of humor is no longer funny because. The, the, the population generally have heard it and they don't find it funny. Now, this is different from a social uh, hive mind where everybody thinks the same thing. Right? I'm not talking about that. So Bernays cites a uh, magazine for writing a pro-beer article. Right, This is back in uh, Prohibition. So it, it believed that is what the public wanted. So is his point that fanning the flames is an effective technique of PR? I don't know. Bernays talks about how PR must be within the moral limits of the targets. So belief limits and moral limits, it seems likely, keeping in mind that these are limits of changing or creating an opinion in the public, in the targets. So if you want to change or create a new opinion in the targets, you're you, you, you have to be giving your narrative within their belief limits or their moral limits. If you're giving it something that they believe but is beyond what they morally agree to, then they, of course, not going to subscribe to your, your propaganda, right? So we've all heard the, uh, the famous publisher um, and populist uh, Joe Pulitzer, right? He was a populist. So all you people that are anti-populism, Joe Pulitzer was a populist. So, so he... Uh, he established the, the, the Pulitzer Prize and named it after himself. <laughs> so he, he battled with uh, Charles Anderson Dana, the publisher of The Sun, who attacked Pulitzer as the Jew who denied his race and religion. So this was an attempt to cost Pulitzer his Jewish subscriptions, which apparently fractured Pulitzer's health. Now, Pulitzer was a Catholic whose mother was born to a Jewish family. So this this sort of, they, they tried to get to the, the deepest core of him. Maybe he, he felt uh, he felt guilt maybe about not being Jewish because his mother was Jewish. Or, but, you know, I don't know. I'm not sure. I have no idea what his, his crap was, right? But the deal was he wasn't even Jewish, right? His mother was Jewish, so I'm sure he didn't have any hate towards Jews, right? But this, the, this other the guy... Um, Charles Anderson Dana went for the most personal attack he possibly could, right? So six years later, um, uh, he was in a bitter circulation battle, uh, Pulitzer was. Joel was in a, in a bitter circulation battle with uh, William Randolph Hearst, uh, 
some of you have heard of him, he had a, a journal, it was called The Journal, in which there was no apparent restrictions on sensationalism or fabrication of news. Sounds like uh, things haven't really changed too much today, but uh, so, but back then when Cuba rebelled, so this is going back to the late 1800s, right? So Cuba rebelled against Spanish rule in 1898. And these guys thought this is, this is a, uh, a catalyst that they could use to make sensationalist or uh, yeah, news, right? To try to get eyeballs, right? Clickbait. So Pulitzer and Hertz tried to outdo each other in whipping up faux outrage against the Spanish, both calling for war against Spain. This is, this is egregious, right? So after a U.S. battleship mysteriously blew up in Havana's harbor, the U.S. Congress reacted to the outcry from these, North, uh, from these newspapers with a war resolution. After the war, Pulitzer withdrew from what he had, uh, from what he had, uh, did he claim it? I'm not sure, but it was called yellow journalism. So it had been become known as yellow journalism. So he tried to withdraw from it. So I, I, uh, I suppose Pulitzer realized the power of bullshit and lies over the nation. Maybe he assumed that people were smart enough to know that they were making up things like this can't be true. Right. But the public was, you know, generally duped. Right. So he tried to make amends and tried to expose the corruption. Maybe he knew the public was being duped. I'm not sure, but he, he obviously felt guilty. So apparently this, this Pulitzer guy apparently has a conscience. So he exposed the fraudulent payment of millions, uh, by the U S uh, to a, uh, a French Panama Canal Company. So the government lashed back with a lawsuit for his libeling of President Theodore Roosevelt and the banker J.P. Morgan. <laughs> These sound like heroes, right? But Pulitzer did not back down, and the indictments were dismissed. Pulitzer famously said, and I quote, A republic and its press will rise or fall together. An able, disinterested, public-spirited press with trained intelligence to know the right and courage to do it can preserve that public virtue without which popular government is a sham and a mockery. A cynical, mercenary, demagogic press will produce in time a people as base as itself. The power to mold the future of the republic will be in the hands of the journalists of future generations generations the power to mold the future of the republic will be in the hands of the journalists of future generations notice his choice of the word cynical a cynical mercenary demagogic press it's pretty much what we have today they are definitely um, not disinterested they are biased right they are not public spirited they are elite spirited do they have the trained intelligence? They have a manipulated intelligence to support woke bigotry. So a mercenary, as a mercenary implies payment. So a uh, demagogue is, is a great word, right? It, it means a leader who obtains power by means of impassioned appeals to emotions and prejudice of the populace. 
which implies the people who coined this term were aware of the fallacies of appeals to emotions and prejudices, which apparently not too many are anymore. So demagogue also means a leader of the common people in ancient times. Historically, a leader of the people, right? A, a person who sways the people by oration and persuasion, right? The implication of those who coined this term uh, of this definition is that persuasion of the people appeals to the emotions are, are not good, right? So that means the persuasion is most likely to a falsity, unless they are saying demagogues might be using their emotional appeals and powers of persuasion uh, for, for good. <laughs> I don't think that's why this term was coined, right? So Pulitzer's tale is, is an example of the flaw of humans his, uh, or, or um, our, our vulnerabilities, human vulnerabilities. His experience proved to him the error of yellow journalism, presumably because he had morals. But his warnings fall on the deaf ears of the next generations who dismiss his experience. That rebellious trait is, is good for breaking dogma, but clearly is bad when there are valid warnings from the experienced ghosts of our collective past. Joe Pulitzer organized a fundraiser to help pay for the uh, pedestal in New York that the Statue of Liberty stands on. So, uh, so it could be shipped and, uh, and, and put on it. Right? So he died in, in 1911 and control of his newspaper went to his idiot son, Ralph. It's funny how sometimes the next generations can be, uh, inverted shadows. <laughs> so Bernays cites, uh, Ralph, the idiot Ralph Pulitzer, who claims, uh, that the crap the press does to the public is the fault of the public, specifically that the people and press are more interested in the polemical than the platitudinous. Polemical means strongly critical, controversial, uh, or disputations, dis disputatious writing or speech. And platitudes are boring statements expressed as if they are original. So this podcast may be considered polemical, <laughs> strongly critical, as well it might be considered a long series of platitudes and boring. <laughs> right? um, so I don't, uh, I don't know what Ralph Pulitzer, uh, the idiot, would have to say about this, but uh, it doesn't really matter because Ralph sounds like a dick. So if the press were actually polemical uh, or severely critical, that would be a good thing if, if they were calling out you know, bullshit. But it's a very bad thing if it's uh, if it is if it uses fallacious reasoning to attack the truth. His dad, you know, Joe Pulitzer, the hero, surely knew that. Uh, so truth has no fear of challenge unless the attacker has an uncritical mind and appears to fallacies. Why does that keep? Of course, people would prefer to hear polemical stories over boring platitudes. That's obvious. But the statement is also, uh, it's an either or fallacy. So Ralph is an idiot. There are other types of stories than just harsh criticisms or boring platitudes. You, th <laughs> you think a guy named Pulitzer would know that. But Ralph continues, the public and press are more interested in blame than painting the lily. 
right? When I first heard this, I was like, what the fuck? So painting the lily doesn't mean something, uh, someone's painting a picture uh, of a lily or, a, or or of a woman named Lily. It, it means to add embellishment to something that is already beautiful. It's from uh, Shakespeare's King John. Um, to gild refined gold, to paint the lily is a wasteful and ridiculous excess. So I've never heard that expression before, to paint the lily. It, it makes sense, right? I, I like the expression, but uh, not the guy that was saying it. So the woke bigots today hate beauty. So we don't hear that expression anymore. To recognize beauty is to objectify it, <sighs> right? Objectify is, is a weird word to be implied as a pejorative, as it means to cause something to have objective reality, to give expression to an abstract notion, a feeling or an idea in a form that can be experienced and shared with others, to bring one's abstract ideas into the objective world and share them with others. That sounds like a beautiful thing, but I forgot. Beautiful things are bad according to these woke bigots. So that's why objectification is a bad thing, right? We don't want things to be shared and brought into objective reality. They don't even believe there is an objective reality, right? So, you know, they're screaming that, you know, that that treats, you know, women as objects, right? But aren't we all objects, right? If we aren't objects, what are we? Now, the definition of an object is something perceptible by one or more uh, of the senses. So it's a phenomenon, So, which is something perceptible by our senses. So these, these woke bigots might scream, you know, things. It treats women as things. That's what they mean by objectification, turning them into a thing. There, there are three definitions of a thing. Uh, an object that cannot be named. If there's no name for it, we just call it a thing. So an individual or an inanimate object. It also means a creature. So I don't recognize the beauty of a woman uh, implies that they are inanimate, right? Nobody, I don't think anybody thinks that if you recognize the beauty of a woman, that that makes them inanimate and, and, and they can be named, right? So, so we're left with the creature. So the definition of, in, in this situation has to, they have to be meaning creatures, right? So the definition of a creature is a living being, you know, a human, an imaginary or fantastical being. So where in these definitions is the recognition of beauty, uh, beauty a derogatory thing? I can think of two scenarios. Beautiful women who do not want to be recognized by men, they don't find beautiful. Or women who don't consider themselves beautiful, jealous of the recognition of other women as beautiful. In both cases, they are using beauty as their guide. <laughs> so they have to recognize the concept of beauty. I could picture some purpled hair, uh, purple haired uggo at Disney, you know, smashing her keyboard about the evils of catcalling because she's never been whistled at. If a construction worker whistling or not is your life's issue, you need to reorganize your priorities. Right? But, but I get it. We are on this planet to reproduce and uggos are upset to the core of their being by being passed over. So instead of getting motivated to make themselves more suitable for procreation, they take the easy road out and blame the men who do not find them, uh, find their hideousness attractive. Conversely, the hotties are insulted that such unsuitable uh, males are daring to think that they have a chance and they get upset over that, (laughs) right? So if George Clooney or Brad Pitt said, hey, I like your hair, would they get upset? 
it's it's uh it's even not that construction workers are are unattractive it's most likely their low social standing that upsets <laughs> the hotties right do they think you know i look like the type who would settle for a working class schlop <laughs> you know? oh and it's the men that are the problem right so you know, most guys i know have never yelled hey baby to some stranger and most women I know don't care if there's a whistle from a construction site. That's the, the uh, impact of this whole thing. Anyway, so Ralph Pulitzer, the Ralph, the idiot, uh, said Ralph, the idiot Pulitzer or the idiot Ralph Pulitzer said that said the, uh, the public and press are more interested in blame than painting the lily in attack than sending laudatory coals to Newcastle. <laughs> so there's some more WTF here. So apparently going back to the, the 1600s, it was well known that Newcastle was located on massive coal fields. So now you're beginning to get that, right? So apparently, uh, so sending coal to Newcastle obviously meant doing something that was pointless. And laudatory is praise. So Ralph is saying people prefer to read about attack than pointless or unnecessary praise. I would argue Today, we see all this praise of royals and garbage in the United States. It's, so that is pointless praise it's, or of celebrity assholes, right? So that is pointless praise. And, there, and there's magazines based on this. So it appears uh, what Ralph and by extension Bernays is trying to say is the public is more emotionally triggered by attacks and tribalism than a cogent argument breaking down the pros and cons of something in an unbiased way. It's interesting that uh, Bernays is not quoting the senior Pulitzer, uh, Joey, uh, probably because Joey tried to warn us of the manipulative, uh, manipulative douchebags who might use the press as a weapon of manipulation, specifically the Edward Bernays of the world. Bernays uh, quotes some dude called Mr. Leup, Lep, L-E-U-P-P, I don't know who leans closer to blaming the common man. And he says, Whatever we may say of the modern press on its less commendable side, at least he's admitting the press are scumbags, we are bound to admit that newspapers, like governments, fairly reflect the people they serve. <laughs> I've never heard of this loop guy, Leup, Leup. I don't know. Regardless, if I had his assertion, Sands evidence is not cogent. It's true that papers like the Toronto Star are biased, bigoted, and idiotic, and most likely do subs or uh, represent their subscribers. So there is some plausibility to Mr. Leup's assertion, but a government who is voted in by a minority of the population cannot be successfully argued to reflect the entire population that they serve. Perhaps that is the key word. Douchebag politicians like Justin Trudeau don't serve the entire population. They only serve the small vested interests that fund them. Or, you know, who knows what's going on right in the back rooms. So a common trope in comedy is to do things in thirds. So Bernays' citation blaming the common man for the acts of the press is from Charles Dudley Warner. That he writes... No matter how objectionable the character of a paper may be, it is always a trifle better than the patrons on whom it relies for its support. <laughs> Holy shit. 
So there's this, the, there's a distinction that Bernays is not making is that different papers have different audiences and that the unbiased position of objectivity is non-existent in mainstream media. He's implying it, but he's not saying it. Uh, because the objective person is like venom to a manipulator like Edward Bernays. The perception management complex do not want objective people or concepts to exist. It just makes life more difficult for the manipulator if the target has ideological defenses, like unbiased objectivity, or at least the striving for it, or the awareness of it. <laughs> these, you know, these guys sound like uh, Gustav Le Bon, you know, advising Hitler. How does one get feedback during a speech, you know, in such a way as it alters one's content in real time, no less? These guys sound like um, like Gustav Le Bon advising Hitler. Uh, how does one get feedback during speech in such a way as to alter one's content in real time? So Bernays quotes some guy named Gladstone uh, on this, and Gladstone writes, the speaker well, I'm assuming he means what the speaker, what the speaker gets from his hearers in a mist, he gives back in a shower. <laughs> so newspapers receive from the public as well and gives to it. Too often what it gets as dust, it gives back as mud, but that does not alter the relation. So I think this Gladstone dune is, uh, dude, is, is ripping a hole in Bernays' point. It looks like he's saying that the speaker magnifies a point or points they think the audience is communicating. That dust may be given back as mud. Mud to me is not meant to be a good thing. Uh, it can be good for life in a swamp, but not so much when it comes to clear communications, clear as mud. So there is no force that compels communicators to imagine what the audience is thinking and amplify that message back to them. This is a moronic and useless form of communication. Why bother at all? If you're just communicating to people what you think they think you are and not add anything, it's, it's useless. It, it is boring platitudes. It's carrying coal to Newcastle. Their logic is false. I don't know how they're getting feedback in real time. You know, I guess jeers maybe, you know, if you're in front of a crowd, but... And how do they verify exactly what the, they interpret what the crowd means, right? Because there is no one, right? But beyond that false logic, it gets worse by amplifying potential noise. So if they interpret something to mean something, they, you know, try to amplify that back to the crowd. Like this is, this is not how a, a rational person communicates. So what if someone wants a, uh, you know, a, a single lump of sugar in their coffee? The logic of the press is to dump a kilogram of white death over their cup, you know, and then blame the person for the antics of the press. Like it's, it's a non sequitur. It does not follow. This is, and this is coming from the great minds of of PR. Either he knows better, or or he's being deceptive, or he's an uncritical thinker. And since this is a book written for their tribe to pass the legacy of their knowledge on, I would err on the side of them being uncritical thinkers, which, uh, you know, with a motive to dehumanize the targets to sue their guilt. I'm assuming if they have any guilt, but they're sociopaths. So all sociopaths, again, my definition of sociopaths is they're doing something that they know is wrong. If they didn't know it was wrong, they'd be psychopaths. So at least Gladstone, whoever that is, uh, gives some blame to the press. I guess giving all the blame to the public would be beyond 
uh, most people's uh, moral and belief limits. So he has to uh, pull back a bit on the rhetoric right, in order for it to enter their mind. But again, this is not a book written for the public. It's written for the elites. So Gladstone wrote, It follows that the responsibility for the more crying evils of journalism must be divided. I call bullshit. A journalist, the one who performs the evil, is fully responsible for her actions, regardless of what she thinks the the, the target public uh, wants to hear. This is what Joey Pulitzer warned us about. The low, manipulative scumbags that use journalism as a tool of manipulation. A form of this is of his uh, yellow journalism. It's disheartening to realize journalists and politicians don't bother taking the objective truth into consideration, only perceptions. The perceptions of what they think the public perceives, which is based on the faulty logic of stereotype. Truth, objective reality do not factor in. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you the political establishment. In fact, objective is reframed as somehow being pejorative. Objective, in all its definitions, is a virtue, despite what the woke bigots try to say. We are all objects. Human beings are objects, as are clouds, horses, and the sun. Just an object, just a human. Putting just a in front of something is a manipulative tool. Uh, you know, it's similar to the so-called just a tries to amplify the object is somehow low quality or to minimize its implied severity. Right? So-called tries to reduce the validity of a thing. The so-called X, it was just an X. The so-called protest, it was just a protest. The so-called vaccine, it was just a shot. Truth, objective reality, do not factor in. It's like wanting uh, to like a celebrity until you hear them talk and realize they are giant assholes. I won't name any because I don't want to give them any free publicity with my three followers. But there is no shortage of asshole celebrities making their idiotic, close-minded views known. Yet again, Bernays is being deceptive when he claims the public and the press, lecture and screen, are led by each other. In reality, the public is being manipulated or led to believe what some wealthy client wants, and the only recognized feedback the public give to the manipulator, manipulator are moral and belief limits, which are only for the practical reasons of effect. The public does not knowingly participate in the game. They aren't knowingly giving back feedback. They are targets. Even a rabbit knows it's being hunted, generally, not all the times. <laughs> so... He goes on to the power of interacting forces that go to make up the public opinion. How is this different from what he was just talking about? Bernays has added the word power to his force and oddly uh, added nothing to the public side of the equation. So I don't want to just crap on Bernays. I'm trying to filter through his BS to find any techniques that have effect so that we can create a viable defense. Bernays claims influence depends on the success with which it is able to enlist established points of view. So PR looks at what they interpret are common opinions and tries to incorporate as many of those as possible to their campaign of manipulation. This is the technique Mao used. Quote a bunch of reason and credible crap 
and and stuff that the people are already you know prepped uh, on right prepared on, and then mix your evil juice in with that. The unsuspecting suckers might drink it all in. Right, bit by bit you remove reason and add more juice. Eventually, you have enough juice to control the targets to a sufficient degree needed for your purpose. This gives the cult members snippets of reason to quote to the outsiders. Look, master is reasonable. He said X. Right. The problem is when the cult members become too drunk on the juice and they've lost all reason and they can no longer differentiate what is uh, a reasonable person thinks is reasonable. So they end up uh, quoting crap like uh, 2 plus 2 equaling 4 is the result of white heteronormative patriarchy or somehow proof of the veracity of their insane ideological cult. Or they claim to fight discrimination by creating the most discriminatory ideology there has ever been. So Bernays drops the ball by claiming there's a middle ground between malleable and stubborn. Another way to say mentally malleable uh, is the target is easily able to be exploited. But malleable is, is fine too. Malleable means to be controlled or altered by outside forces or influences. Malleable does not mean open-minded or open to suggestion based on logic and reason. Malleable means controlled by outside forces, exploitable. Stubborn, of course, means a determination not to change one's position in spite of good arguments or reasons to do so. Stubborn is not the opposite of malleable. Stubborn is subjective and not an objective label. There may be good arguments that don't sway because they are better arguments to another direction. If a mule does not want to walk, the owner may call it stubborn. But maybe the mule is beat tired or just does not give a shit what the owner wants. You know, or a salesman may think a customer that doesn't buy is stubborn. Perhaps uh, the crap they're selling is overpriced or poor quality, or the, 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 the customer just does not give a shit and doesn't want the crap. Right? Of course, one is close, uh, uh, if one is close-minded, they may also be stubborn. Uh, they may be, but stubborn is not close-minded. In the mindset of the manipulator, compliance and malleability are synonymous. Compliance is not based on logic and sound arguments. It is subservience to the will of others, which could be due to force, perception of harm, deception, uh, payment, you know, the causes are many. In this context, stubbornness is a virtue. Stubbornness against manipulation is something to which we all should aspire. But we don't want to be closed-minded and resilient to the truth. We need to give weight to the various different forms of reasoning. We have deduction, a priori, uh, pure logic, give lots of weight to that. Then we have induction, uh, statistics, a posteriori, observations with sufficient numbers and valid causation, you know, less weight because statistics are notoriously easy to misinterpret and give false uh, conclusions. Then we have abductive, which is best guess. We should not give that much weight. And then we have assertions, which we should give no weight. And then we should have manipulation, which we give negative weight, right? This should be obvious to all adults, but sadly it is not. 
unfounded assertions are given the most weight and the dangers of statistics are infamous. Add to this, we need to be hyper-vigilant and recognize logical fallacies and that being a fallacy obviously means they have no weight to influence our opinion. We have a uh, special form of stubbornness that allows uh, in good data but blocks bad. It needs to be a uh, not like a firewall, a highly resilient, highly critical, yet allows functionality. PR and the rest of the perception management complex are the viruses and trojans designed to distort our accurate perception of reality. Perhaps we should look into our immune system to see what types of algorithms nature has created over the past few million years that might be transferable to the idea of defense uh, of data integrity. You know, that might make an interesting episode. For now, using a gross oversimplification of our immune system for our ideological immune response uh, could be, um, it could be a complex system, uh, but uh, escalation of, of resources, right? So this is our immune system escalates our resources until the threat is neutralized. So it shows no mercy to the invader. It acts decisively and quickly. Uh, it takes note of anything foreign or alien, no matter how apparently insignificant. Is this me or is this not me? It's not me. It's foreign. It's alien. Kill it. <laughs> right. So ring the alarm when a valid threat is detected. Analyze the threat before killing it. Keep a record of that threat, perhaps the techniques that threat tried to use. And don't wait for damage to occur. Kill it as soon as it's detected. Employ the uh, cytotoxic mode and kill our own that have been compromised. <laughs> so this this can be mapped as a methodology to a uh, an ideological immune response, but we must realize that models have limits, and the immune model doesn't cover how we determine a friendly from foe. So I'm not claiming the immune system is a valid model. I'm just throwing it against the wall to see if anything sticks. <laughs> It's kind of funny to think of it that way, but uh, another analogy for the manipulation of PR uh, would be the news as a drug, which is used to spike the target's mental drinks. Well, they're a Kool-Aid, right? So the targets take it unwittingly, and then the PR drags them into an alley and rapes their minds in public. And then they get the Stockholm Syndrome and defend their abusers. I guess a simpler model would be that of an alien intelligence giving unsuspecting targets cognitive lotus flowers to drug them, uh, which turns them into mindless drones uh, that push the alien's agenda. There's a lot of fun models we can come up with, right? So I'm meaning alien as in a uh, in foreign or external, but the UFO type works you know, just as well. So interpret at will. Interpret how you wish. Fire at will. <laughs> The, uh, the charging of uh, the changing of one's mind without permission or awareness is way worse than any microaggressions that woke bigots come up with. It's, it's, this is, it's an actually a serious situation. Is there uh, even a word for someone who is resilient to manipulation? It's not just being resilient to manipulation. It's also allowing valid data in. Sound judgment would be the closest, I think. Is it better to uh, look at the concept holistically integrated? Holistically is an interesting word. Holistically with a W is uh, British and it's, uh, or Old English, 
It, it means sound, like solid or uninjured. And then there's holistic, which is just H-O-L, is uh, Greek, and it means all. So it's funny how people conflate those two words, holistic. It's different words, different meanings. Anyways, uh, so is it better to look at the concept holistically integrated in an int- a holistically integrated way as a spectrum or as a cognitive firewall than just, uh, you know, differentiated little bits, right? I can't think of a word specifically for cognitive firewall at a proper setting. A, uh, a skeptic might be more resilient to blatant overt manipulation, but that doesn't appear to be the case. There are many skeptics in many conflicting religions you know, they can't all be right. So presumably the majority, if not all of them, are skeptical yet somehow allowed manipulative false information in at some point in their life. So on top of their being more likely to err on the side of cynicism and be an apophenic, apophenic, apophenic type two and not see uh, valid connections in new valid information. So if your firewall is too lax, you're gullible type one, you see phantom connections as valid and everything gets in. Uh, we're shooting for a 1.5 on that Pafinia scale, right? We need the word uh, we need the word for uh, type 1.5 uh, Goldilocks setting of our of our cognitive firewall. We uh, sound judgment, but but you have to suspend judgment at times, right? So suspending judgment is part of sound judgment, <laughs> you know. But even then, sound judgment is not an impenetrable force, right? There are always crafty ways trolls can breach the keep, right? The, the viruses are always finding new ways. They're attacking, 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 and they, and they have ways to break through our uh, immune system. It's the same with ideological attacks. Sometimes, you know, the, the, the crap ones are obvious and they fall to the ground, and then there's other ones that stick, right? So sometimes the best defense is a good offense, you know, we, the, the schmaltzy little people need to start fighting back, not just defense of the dark arts, but offense against them. So is your, uh, suspension of judgment still judgment? Yes. Judgment doesn't mean you have to come up with a conclusion or a finalized opinion. Judgment includes tentative pending and undetermined assessments. I don't know is a valid judgment despite what our teachers tried to hammer into us. Though it would uh, be perhaps more clear if we said suspension of conclusion, just to make it clear, but I don't know if that sounds any better. So can you have type 1 and type 2 apophenia simultaneously, both seeing phantom connections and not seeing valid ones? Well, of course you can. We all do, most likely all the time, but not on the same topic. Uh, What would be a form of... uh, that be a form of cognitive dissonance? No, I don't think so. Because when we're making uh, false connections or we are blind to valid ones, we are totally unaware of it, right? Usually, when we become aware of it, that's that's the good that's the good part, right? That's when we start. Oh, let's take a look at this, right? It's it's just a story that you know normally we interpret wrong, though at times it can lead to cognitive dissonance when there's contradictory logic or evidence on the same subject. So the perception of contradictory information. So suspension of judgment and thinking, who knows at that point, would pause the whole thinking routine on that topic and be a mistake. It's precisely at that moment when our alarm bells should be ringing. And the last thing we should do is suspend judgment 
in terms of uh, pausing our, our thinking. Of course, we shouldn't come to a final conclusion, but that doesn't mean we should stop judging and analyzing it, right? So this is when we gain new uh, valid insights. When we detect the dissonance and pull on the threads, we could be experiencing uh, apophenia of some type. Uh, we might be making phantom connections. It could be our logic is wrong, or it could be the evidence is wrong. It could be we are wrong, uh, or it could be everything is correct, right? But we are blind to a bridge, blind to a valid connection that would tie things better. We are all blind to many things, probably most things. The fact that we are not omniscient proves that, um, considering if there's an infinite number of things and we know a finite amount of things, then what we know is infinitesimally small. <laughs> the fact that we, uh, yeah. So there are, there are many things that pass through our senses that we do not process. Our subjective reality is a fabrication in our minds uh, from not pure data, but from our filtered interpretation of the data from our senses. That doesn't mean our interpretations are valid as objective reality. They are clearly not as we are fooled by illusions and inattention among any uh, other things. That's not our truth, that's our error. So there are many filters that we apply to a specific topic. Our bullshit filter uh, may be full of bullshit itself. It, it's most likely not 100% accurate, right? So we all make these type one, type two errors. We are not omniscient. Of course, we are going to sometimes make mistakes in seeing phantom connections and sometimes blind to valid connections. I really need to drive this because it seems to not stick. So not having those errors is a voyage, not a destination. So it takes a special kind of stupid to think you never make mistakes. Introspective versus retrospective versus what do you call holding a mirror up to one's thoughts and actions? Is that uh, retrospective? Uh, introspective is the word, uh, but I use that more for reasoning and thoughts, you know, crap in your head. But retro, uh, reflectospective is a better word for your uh, for your words, actions, interactions in the objective world, right? We need to see patterns those patterns need to be filtered through our most valid judgment. Natural selection has us err on the side of seeing false connections, right? There might be dangers in the bush, right? Think of there's a beast and there isn't, right? It doesn't, obviously, if there isn't, you survive. And if there is, you survive, right? Well, you have a better chance, right? For obvious reasons. But it's not hard to train ourselves to be type twos and be blind to patterns that are there, blind to valid evidence, blind to valid connections. So those will be the first people to be eaten when the zombie apocalypse comes. <laughs> Just because we're skeptical in no may, uh, way means we are not naive. Just because we are skeptical in no, mean, uh, no way means we know or are experienced. Even then, naivete can be reduced with experience but not erased. Experience and judgment are two separate things. You can have a lot of experience and still have crap judgment. Why else do uh, Nigerian princes target the elderly? I mean, who has more experience than the elderly, right? You, have, you can have little experience and have sound judgment, but are probably still going to make novice mistakes due to false simplistic assumptions and thinking the complex system is simpler and manageable. 
Of course, you can have little experience and poor judgment. There's a lot of different ways we can mix these concepts together. You can have a lot of experience and sound judgment, though that is a lot less common in ourselves than most of us think. (laughs) Think of the people who live their entire lives believing something that was false. Did their vast, lifelong experience show them the truth? No. Experience by itself proves nothing. It depends if there's an accurate feedback mechanism for our judgment in that experience. If there's no feedback, then that experience is just noise, right? The experience can help us get closer to the truth, but we need feedback from objective reality to know if we're on the right path. So there are many false paths and poor choices. Somewhere there's a better option, but the choices are infinite. So we need to base our choices on certain criteria. So these are what? Emotional? Are we emotional about this? Or are we calm, cool, and collected? If we're emotional, recognize that as a red flag. Criticality, being critical. Those choices are, uh, are based first on are we being critical? Are we questioning or are we passive? Are we being uh, led to make certain choices? How does our firewall, how does our cognitive firewall work? Does it work? Does it uh, check for known bad guys and and block recognized and and suspicious? You know, how does our immune system work? It checks for deviation from the norm and escalates the response as necessary to eradicate the alien invader. Firewalls are pretty dumb, but they are adaptive uh, via human upgrades. The adaptability of firewalls is just the capitalization of the human Uh, quality of adaptability. So it's not the firewall that's adapting, it's humans coming and collecting new information and updating. Now with AI, that might change. But uh, so are these these two processes infallible? Of course not. Computers get hacked and people do die of illness. So our immune system and firewalls are not infallible. So cognitive firewall, check your, your, uh, yourself, your, uh, your, what you're receiving and check your source for what they're transmitting. Does this warrant any of my attention? If so, why? Am I responding emotionally to this? You know, is it, it's a red flag. Uh, am I questioning the veracity? Am I experienced on the subject? Am I, do I have feedback with that experience? Am I jumping to false conclusions or phantom connections? Am I ignoring valid evidence? Am I not seeing valid connections? Am I blind to the invisible bridge? <laughs> am I being apophenic? Right? Are they... Uh, are they are the are the person giving you the information uh, just making assertions with no evidence, right? Am I making assertions with no evidence? Are are they just telling an anecdote, uh, which is it's hard to disprove an anecdote. You know, anecdotes happen, but does it, there may not be meaning to that anecdote that the people are ascribing to it. So is that is that anecdote framed or skewed in a in a certain way? Are they magnifying and minimizing important parts which distort the truth? Am I magnifying or minimizing? Is, the, is that anecdote used to extrapolate a stereotype? Are they using logical fallacies? Are they using appeals to emotion? Are, you know, what are their sources? Are those sources biased? You know, if there are studies, who paid for it? Is it difficult to find out who paid for it? Is, is there not enough evidence? Should I suspend judgment? Is there a bit of dissonance that I might tug at? You know, there's some clues that I say, hmm, this smells wrong. What's, what, what's, what's that smell, right? So does their evidence, if any, make sense? Is, is there a logical flaw or anomaly? Is your gut warning you? Should it be warning you? And it's not, right? At any rate, there is some 
psychometric term for one's resilience, uh, or is there, you know, for, for our resilience to manipulation? I would, uh, I actually, <laughs> I emailed the CIA, but they didn't get back to me. <laughs> so is there a genetic trait? I'm sure everyone can learn the skills, right? It appears like our immune system, we have a bit of innate defense to manipulation. We are hardwired genetically at uh, different rates to be uh, um, resilient to manipulation to, to, for two different degrees. But we need to nurture that, right? We need to develop our adaptive responses to manipulation as the cognitive pathogens used by perception management today are more advanced than our glacial genetic evolution. We need to be more astute, but it's an arms race. The manipulation class will also adapt to our new defenses. Like all massive organizations, they will be slower to charge, uh, to change than the individual. The problem being their organizations, while massive, are still smaller and possibly quicker to change than the mass of society. So, uh, though great change can come quick, it uh, it may not <laughs> not be quick enough for us. Right? So Bernays sounds like a reporter. Uh, when he wrote uh, some analytics uh, or analysts believe that the public has no opinions ex so except those which various institutions provide ready made for it. So which analysts is he talking about, and and why should we care uh, what those analysts believe? Some analysts believe that the public has no opinions. Well, who cares who these analysts are? And who cares what they believe, right? They maybe might be a, a valid assertion, but it's an assertion, right? So their belief is not valid evidence. Appealing to someone anonymous, some anonymous analyst is also fallacious appeals. It's, it's not valid evidence, right? It's just a basket of bullshit from Bernays. So he drops another deuce of uh, deduction when he writes, uh, from Mr. Mencken, our hero here, the good guy, Mr. Minkin, Louis, and others, it would almost seem to follow that papers or and uh, other mediums have no standards except those which the public provides, and that therefore they are substantially without influence upon the public mind. So a uh, natural interpretation is Bernay, that uh, Bernays is making is He's implying that Mencken craps on the newspaper's lack of standards, and Mencken thinks this lack of standards that reduces the public uh, re reduces the public's interest in the papers. But it appears that Bernays is adding the tag, which the public provides, and also adds it in the context of influence on the public mind. So we don't know what Mencken actually said, or if he even said anything as this whole uh, construct is a straw man fallacy by Bernays. But from what little I know of Mencken, which isn't much, is that he would most likely claim my natural interpretation and Bernays is most likely adding those tags along with a bogus argumentative form which, with the, uh, the weasel word almost of it almost seems to follow. And his, his definite conclusion, therefore, to fool the lazy reader into thinking it's valid logic instead of just a spin. Spin which has a fallacious meta-message which miraculously supports Bernays' earlier claim that the public is to blame for any moral failings and reports, uh, reporters. And they are also to blame for not buying the deceptive rags of yellow journalism and propaganda. 
implying, see, even my enemies think the public is to blame for what the reporters do. The whole disgusting paragraph smells of uh, dog vomit. (laughs) The form is bullshit premise starting with a weasel word. It almost seems X, where X is a truth appended uh, to Bernays first bullshit message. No second premise, just straight to the conclusion, therefore, why? Where why is Bernays other bullshit message? Non sequitur, straw man with a dose of Mao. It's rarely straightforward, uh, you know, single dimension deception with this level of deceptive sociopath. It's a layer cake of deception, a, uh, a strata of shit, <laughs> a strata shit cake. So he's not even claiming the public have influence over the press, only that the press have the supposed same standards as the public, which is an assertion sans evidence. And even if it were true, that in no way indemnifies the press from their actions. There isn't even a claim of coercion from the public. Public. It's clear in form that Bernays is not trying to inform his reader. He's attempting to manipulate the reader. Since his target audience is obviously the so-called elite, it's clear that Bernays thinks he is smarter and can dupe them. Just another target in the sociopathic PR's mind. So Bernays' cards are revealed. This guy says over and over how the public and manipulators influence each other, which we covered earlier, that the public only limits the extent at which which the manipulators can attack via moral and belief limits. Bernays quotes the Ray Stannard Baker, who wrote how politicians and diplomats at conferences in Versailles were so worried about the guesses and opinions of reporters and the reactions that came back to them. He doesn't say from who or what the reactions were coming from, the public, the press, or the people in their inner circles, or if it was the actual public, which is highly unlikely, what percentage of them were reacting or even in those reactions were unified. You know, were they pro, were they con, or what? Or they just reactions? Was it the intensity of the reaction? So this bigger guy went on, the problem of publicity consumed an astonishing amount of time, anxiety, and discussion among the leaders of the conference. It influenced the entire procedure, which ultimately pushed some heads of state into small secret conferences. This Baker story is nothing more than anecdote, but it does give, it does give evidence to the weight uh, diplomats and politicians give or gave Uh, to the press, and ultimately to public opinion, or at least what they perceive as the public opinion. Perhaps it's not meant to manipulate the public at all. Perhaps uh, news is meant to manipulate those whose hands are on the levers, the the scummy politicians. So that's that's a more powerful take of the news, right? Bernays writes that other causes are the movie industry and professional baseball. (laughs) So we've all seen bullshit propaganda, uh, political agendas being taken up by uh, pro sports, especially, you know, the BLM, BS. Uh, The BLM has an agenda among many other Marxist agendas, along with many uh, other Marxist agendas, as they are a Marxist organization. Uh, And they had on their website to break up the nuclear family. Uh, the source, you know, the the source being their, their website. So what possible benefit is there to break up the family unit? 
you know, going back to the Soviet days in East Germany, the Stasi, of course, did a study to find that kids from broken homes were much easier to manipulate than kids from a nuclear family. That is a normal family with a mother and a father. So Bernays refers to how the Hague conference was forced to open its doors to reporters. The scary thing about this is how did the reporters give the the delegates the delegates accurate information as to the state of the mind of the people back home. Newspapers are not a two-way dialogue. And this is like, whatever, 100 years ago, 150, 120 years ago, whatever. So just how a uh, would a reporter know what the public is thinking without input from that public? Because they tell them what they think. Reporters don't hear the disapproval of the public as the, uh, as they read the paper. You know, it's a one-way discourse. In fact, today in 2023, a, well, actually, uh, was 2022. I think, uh, a, a, a Toronto star reporter wrote that she knows, uh, what the premier of the province is thinking and wants. So clearly, uh, that idiocy has not gone away. This is a trend I'm seeing in books about manipulation. They argue that they miraculously get complete and accurate feedback from their one-way discourse in real time, be that speeches, you know, uh, articles, and printed, you know, or or movies. Right? It's, it's amazing. It's truly amazing. Not one of them explains the mechanism of this miraculous instant and accurate feedback, which also happens to be monolithic and stereotypical. Right? Odd that. If they were actually getting accurate feedback from the public, which is diverse, they would be aware there is not a unified opinion from any mass of individuals. Even if we try to make connections not explicitly said, like book sales or letters to the editor or even a question and answer uh, sessions, there isn't sufficient time for the real-time feedback of the examples given. Especially in 1923, you know, they are not... Uh, sufficient methods to get accurate, an accurate reading of the public opinion, right? Especially since one does not exist. So if somebody writes a letter to the editor, that's only one person's opinion. That is not the entire public's opinion, right? Because, so if, if they were using the uh, inductive logic of statistics, they might be able to give us, you know, percentages of how many think X, but this is not the case as their feedback was immediate and in real time. Real time meaning, you know, of course, with no apparent delay. I recognized this anomaly uh, before in uh, with Gustave Le Bon and, and others, but it's it's oddly prevalent. I would assume that uh, it's a bit of BS that dupes often, and that is why they use it, or they used to use it, as they uh, they must know that their guesses of what the public thinks are not facts, right? They have to know this, or do they believe it? I asked a Toronto Star reporter that, and she has yet to reply. <laughs> so when it comes to the question of incompetence versus deception, in the context of a book about deception, I would have to lean towards deception. So they know they're lying to us. Anyways, Bernays uh, mentioning the fear inflicted by the press on diplomats and the world leaders is apparently to sell the necessity of PR at all levels and tries to sell more than fear by claiming the trial balloons of ideas that can be sent up to gauge the public's opinion on it. And in that mechanism of the press, giving leaders feedback from the people is deeply suspect. Bernays quotes an article that refers to the press and uh, others who 
express public opinion in action as the men whose business it is to make the public opinion. So I don't know why the mealy-mouthed shitbag Bernays dances around it so much. Early in the book, he eventually claims that PR creates the news and the news creates the public opinion. Despite all this mumbo-jumbo earlier, right? So it, it doesn't mean it's true, although uh, apparently there is a fact. So the point is for us to recognize the methodology PR claims it subscribes to. So let's try to be as clear as possible. This is why Bernays conflates the press with the public opinion. In his mind, the sheep only think what they are told to. We can express, expect, expect this to be a common belief in the PR sector of today. So in Bernays' mind, the press are public opinion. Despite, despite, despite the press not successfully manipulating everyone to buy their newspapers. And today, news media are tanking. The ratings are going down. Less and less people are tuning in. So there may be conflicting press and the most obvious individuals have independent minds and beliefs, which apparently is not a thing that the, the press and the media recognize, politicians, that the, the idiot schlops in the street can actually think for themselves. It's not possible. So the press guessing or asserting the public's opinion is therefore a fallacy on multiple levels, yet there is apparently a fact to their method on a statistical level, as our personal anecdotes will surely reveal. We all know people who believe obvious bullshit from the press, so there is some effect. This is why we cannot disregard their techniques, but they are not as powerful as they think or as they claim. You know, they might argue there are dissenting opinions because there is dissenting press telling them to think those views. But, you know, what about public opinion being responsible for the press's egregious actions as claimed earlier by Bernays? By Bernays. So either the public have a mind or they do not. If Bernays' claim is true, then the dissenting press is, a, is, is around due to dissenting people. Then who are the creators of that dissent? Right? Obviously, some people somewhere can think, right? It's, it's pretty self-evident, right? Manipulators do not believe in the concept of reason uh, and, and, the, uh, and the idiot public having the mental capacity to see evidence and, and be able to come up with their own conclusions without being told what to think. To think of the people as vacant non-player characters is on the spectrum of psychopathy. Right. If they actually believe this, there might be psychopaths, not sociopaths. So a psychopath, of course, being someone who thinks of others as non-living creatures, which manifests as impaired empathy and lack of remorse. Like in the uh, 2014 movie Guardians of the Galaxy, when Buddy says, uh, won't there be hundreds of uh, Sakaran soldiers inside? And the Dave Batista character says, I think of Sakaran as paper people. Right, that, that's being a psychopath. That is actually being a racist psychopath, thinking of an entire people as non-living objects, uh, specifically paper in this case. But of course, it doesn't have to be that literal. It's not surprising that Disney being infected with woke bigotry would promote racist psychopathy. And yet, Mark Twain is banned reading. <laughs> so Bernays claims foreign policy is determined by public opinion 
which is a blatant sales pitch, which implies the power and the need of four PR, which can determine foreign policy if one has deep enough pockets. However, the public clearly does not determine foreign policy as much as it is even revealed to the public. The only thing the public determines in regard to foreign policy are the limits, how far the government can go as much as the public is aware of. And if, if one manipulates the, uh, the public's limits, they can, of course, push their policy that much further. But things are uh, really hidden from the people by the government, right? So a lot of things. I worked at a, uh, a secret government organization that was hidden from the public for decades. I wasn't even convinced it was real when I sent a resume to the building. <laughs> you know, I saw the, the picture of the building in the book. So, uh, you know, I read about the organization, so I mailed the resume off, which is one of the reasons I got the job, though. I guess it's a woke hellhole today. Um, so the book, in case you're interested, was called Spy World, How CSE Spies on Canadians in the World, and it was written by a guy named Mike Frost, who I think escaped the country and is now uh, happily retired in the United States somewhere. So the organization has since come out of the shadows. My point is just how much effect do you think public opinion had in determining the actions of a secret government organization? Right In the messy, overt world, the public does have a limiting factor, but uh, no say otherwise. Just like the, uh, the, the whole Iraq fiasco, you know, anyone with at least half a brain knew there was zero evidence linking Iraq and 9-11, but the perception management complex mostly implied a connection, uh, but pushed hard on Saddam Hussein having weapons of mass destruction, and poor old Colin Powell was milked of his credibility by the perception management group and used like toilet paper when they made him lie to the public. So that was back when the uh, military industrial complex and big oil were using Republicans. Today, it's the globalists controlling the intelligence apparatus and the Democrats. It's hard to tell who the puppets and who the masters are anymore, from the outside anyways. Perhaps even on the inside, the most successful manipulation leaves the targets not knowing that they were manipulated. So grab the bull's uh, nose ring and the rest of the beast will follow willingly. So the post 9-11 propaganda sold lies of weapons of mass destruction, WMDs, that ended in a massively protracted war. Uh, the only beneficiaries were the military-industrial complex and big oil. Everyone else paid the price. That policy wasn't determined by the public. It was sold to the public by fanning the flames of fear. The righteous will rise with burning eyes and ill will. Madmen fed on fear and lies to beat, burn, and kill. <laughs> it was obvious to me then as it is now. I don't believe anyone who claims we did not know better. Bull fucking shit. No one is that stupid. So that was a PR attack that didn't work as well as they hoped. Uh, the newspapers acted as if it did. As a tactic, they try to shut up the, the masses who saw through it, an attempt to make the majority feel that they are a minority, the outliers, the lone wolves that no one else will believe. There were, of course, idiot Canadians who believed the, the news narrative that all Americans bought the bullshit hook, line, and center, which does demonstrate how gullible those Canadians are to propaganda and manipulation. It's odd that those Canadians didn't buy the first wave of U.S. propaganda, but did buy the second. Perhaps their uh, 
interpretation of the second wave was promoted by the Canadian news, which pushed and fed an anti-American sentiment. Regardless, it uses the fallacious logic of stereotype to think all Americans are the same. What's worse is those Canadians do that despite a gross amount of evidence, which proves otherwise. As we know, being blind to valid evidence is uh, delusional and type 2 epiphenia, not seeing valid patterns or connections. So it's clear Bernays is simply trying to sell PR as he throws Harvard appointing a PR counselor after his talk about foreign policy. The, the only consistent threat of thought is the need for PR. So I've hope, uh, I would have hoped that Harvard would have studied the effect of manipulation of PR but they apparently went with hiring the PR counselor to utilize it. So maybe they did study it. They're like, hey, let's get on with this, right? This is a powerful tool, manipulate people. So Bernays claims uh, almost uh, on almost every page, the institutions which make public opinion conform to the demands of the public. Over and over and over, this guy says this. So repetition is a common tool of learning conditioning, and of course, manipulation and brainwashing. Though I don't know if Bernays is doing it for his own self-programming or, you know, conscious soothing or for our sake, I would lean towards the latter. Bernays tries to sell the benevolent use of PR by referring to the Safety First movement and the Rockefeller Foundation and their program on hookworm. Oh, wasn't the Rockefellers, aren't they great people? Right. <laughs> Rockefeller today has a legacy of being an evil globalist ghoul, the Monty Burns incarnate. <laughs> his, his virtue signaling one-time apparently uh, benevolent use of PR uh, is perhaps not sufficient to quell his uh, malevolent reputation. <laughs> so yet again, Bernays claims PR must enlist the established point of view. Established or believed by who? It appears that Bernays is actually saying PR must act as if it is the established point of view. This is probably what he really means by enlist. So it's not a uh, simple fallacious appeal to the masses like citizens think S uh, or X and colleagues think X. It has to have a, uh, a sense or because before the claim to make the target assume it is fact. Since citizens think X or because our colleagues think X, right? Of course, it's a, it's a nuance, but this is what I think he's trying to get at. Right? Of course, you know, another layer of framing those as the better people could also be used, right? Since honest people think X, or because our top colleagues think X, right? You, uh, you keep adding layers of fallacious bullshit, which is apparently what they do. Despite all their work, it's, it's simple to recognize their assertions if they have no evidence, they can flower it up all they like, and it's still obvious. There is a more crafty way, and that is the assumption as seen in leading questions uh, or false premises, right? So why did you kill the, why did you want to kill the victim? So it's not just why did you kill them, it's why did you want to kill the victim, right? So obviously, if you did not kill the victim, asking why you wanted to do something that you did not do is a false premise, right? You might hear a politician saying, I don't agree or accept uh, that premise of that question, right? Or they'll just answer the question they wished somebody asked them and ignore the uh, <laughs> the actual question and just puke out, uh, you know, uh, talking points. Some dude called William T. Smith wrote, 
insisting that someone define their terms and formulate a coherent question predicated on truth is perfectly reasonable. But for those who prefer to obfuscate, redirect, or parrot ideologically driven drivel, definitions and truth are irrelevant. Oh my God, this guy's like scratching an itch. I would argue that truth and definitions are source material to be deformed to the manipulator's goals. As Bernays stresses, the manipulator must enlist the established beliefs or points of view. A definition or truth is simply something a target believes. There is a technique of manipulation where the word science is called on to sway people. Not actual science, but the word science, hoping the targets are too lazy to think about it more than a few seconds and are too ignorant to know what science actually means. This is the fallacious appeal to the word science, not the concept of science, but just the word. If one campaigns, uh, one campaign harps X is bad, a new campaign harps X is good. The technique is to simply say science uh, is about change and it has changed and now says, or in a new light of evidence, it says this, right? Which are valid concepts in isolation, but when tagged with manipulation, they are vectors of attack. Science, actual science is not about change. Uh, science is about the capacity to change in the light of new valid evidence, stronger evidence, not just any old bullshit evidence or any old new evidence. New is not the operative word. New valid evidence, stronger evidence, right? Science is clearly not about unfounded assertions about X that change depending on what big money is dictating that week, right? The trick works a lot on uh, a lot of fools, even those in science, which makes me think that there are so many academics that are phony. So many people that have been pushed through uh, or paid for their degrees, right? And they're just phony garbage, phony, incompetent fools. So this, you know, and it works a lot on the, uh, the pro-science community. And of course I'm pro-science. I'm amongst the pro-science community, it's, it's amongst the pro-science community who are not smart enough to know just how to apply the basic principles of the scientific method to their reasoning. So these are the, 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 the false prophets of science, right? The idiots that think they're smart, but they are not, right? And none of us are that smart. So they're led to epiphanies that have been officially sanctioned by some smelly sack of moldy money, right? It's not science. It's a tactic. It's a fallacious appeal to the name of science. So getting back to this Mencken guy, he's, he must be a real thorn in Bernays ass. I should research the guy more and do a podcast on him and his writing. But, uh, Bernays, he, he refers to this quote as editorial bravery. And when you hear Bernays calling something editorial bravery, your bullshit alarm should be triggered. <laughs> so here's the, the editorial bravery as defined or as, as called by, uh, so-called by Bernays. A newspaper must carry the news, both pleasant and unpleasant. Nevertheless, in times of stress and bleak despair, a newspaper has a hard and fast duty to perform in keeping up the morale of the community, 
<laughs> like scumbag reporters of papers have a reputation of keeping the morale of the community up. <laughs> Granted, Bernays didn't claim they do that. He just said they have a duty to do it. Duty. I said duty. Why is Bernays blowing smoke up journalists' ass? Right? Why would he take this blatant bullshit stance? Reality, as we all observe, is quite the opposite. Right? If it bleeds, it leads. Right? Controversy where there isn't any. Fallacious appeals to an injustice when there wasn't any. Right? Emotional appeals to create a response, whether of bleak despair or stress or hatred, division, you know, whatever gets attention, tribalism, right? Their resource. So it, it can be converted into their, their product, right? So the attention being their resource and uh, their product being your emotion. So not reason, not information, not truth, but emotion. So how is that quote uh, in any way brave? Papers and PR scum claiming uh, to the public that the public want X or polls indicate X or experts say X are all fallacious appeals to the mob or fallacious appeals to a title. So as I went over, or a fallacious appeal to the establishment, whatever you want to call it, you can call it anything, right? So as I went over in another podcast, courts have often recognized experts who completely contradict each other under oath in a court of law where lying gets you charged. So logically, there being an expert, even a court-recognized expert, is not sufficient to prove that they are accurate. Right? Bernays admits that some newspapers are leaders in public movements. Movement implies an objective of what they believe should be done. Now, this is not just conveying news. Right? This is, this is the type of people that Joe Pulitzer warned us about. Activist journalists are the literally the type of people that should not be journalists, according to Joe Pulitzer. Now, of course, I could be appealing to Joe Pulitzer, but given his massive uh, education and how wrong it is to do yellow journalism, that's why I'm quoting him, right? So Bernays recognizes there's a flaw in his simplistic thinking, that the public get their opinion from the churches, news media, movies, as there exists public opinion that is independent of these vectors of attack. So slow clap for Bernays, right? It only took him half the book to finally recognize this. Bernays also recognizes that manipulators need to recognize the limits of his traditional vectors. He writes, how uh, for these institutions affect the public opinion? He must discover what the stimuli are to which public opinion responds most readily. So enter fallacious appeals to the word science and not the concept of science. As the tiger, uh, targets are pro-science, they want to be viewed as pro-science, but are too stupid or cognitively lazy to actually use the methods of critical thought and questioning uh, you know, of sources, etc., you know, waste all that time and money learning about cognitive biases, yet still believe CNN. Humans are definitely fallible. You know, this, this could have something to do with the idea that you have to take other scientists' word for uh, 
things sometimes, you know, for if you're crunched for time, but you shouldn't never have to take their word for it. That is not science. You know, well, this person's an expert. They wrote this paper. Therefore, I will believe it. That is not science. Even if your job tells you that's what you're supposed to do, that is not science. You need to independently validate that first, right? Otherwise, it could be uh, false. And if you're going on that conclusion, you're too lazy or you don't have the resources to do it, you have to recognize that it is not proven. Just because somebody has a a peer-reviewed paper on something doesn't mean it's fact, especially if you haven't reviewed it yourself, right? So, or, you know, experiment. If you haven't tried to replicate it at home, doesn't mean it, or at home, you know, in your in-house. Is manipulation that powerful or people that stupid? In regards to what stimuli the public responds most readily, according to, uh, you know, Bernays, he, he claims a fundamental study of group and individual psychology is required before PR can determine how readily the targets will accept modifications of their viewpoints. <laughs> Bernays wrote modifications of viewpoints, not modifications of their viewpoints. I added the their. So it's it's an apparent distancing, a detaching of ownership of opinion, a dehumanization and disregard of the right to frank, think freely will accept modifications of viewpoints. I put the there in because it just sounds wrong, right? We'll accept modifications of viewpoints. So it's, it's just an inorganic thing that can, uh, can be changed, right? Like the paint on a wall, you know, opinions instead of what it is, you know, the destruction of the fabric of one's soul and organic character as determined by our natural opinions and judgments. So he writes, for a lucid conception of the functions, power, and social utility of the PR council, it is virtually important to have a clear grasp on the fundamentals with which he must work. Yes, the social utility of women not cutting their hair or everyone to eat more bacon or the public to inject substances into their bodies without knowing the adverse long-term effects. Social utility, my ass. PR is just control over others. Pure and simple, that is it. Not just what they think, but also, uh, and perhaps more importantly, how they think. Since the Marxists believe there is nothing but power, no no truth but power, no wonder there are so many leftist weirdos who embrace the tactics of PR in news, movies, and the rest, you know, agitprop. So Bernays goes on to uh, an understanding of the fundamentals of the public motivation, blah, 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 blah. So Bernays' science of PR calls for the use of stereotypes, He literally says stereotypes. Recall stereotype is a known fallacious cognitive error of overgeneralizing a thing based on insufficient sample size. It appears uh, like induction or using statistics, but with a case of one or a few, i.e. using anecdotes to claim false generalizations about the thing, right? It's faulty reasoning that we've all fallen victim to, victim to at some point. But Bernays isn't trying to find the truth or reason, right? He's, he's not trying to reason something out. He's trying to manipulate as many people as possible to believe whatever narrative his client is paying him to. He uses capitalist and Boy Scout as examples. He mentions how stereotypes bring about definite images to the hearer. 
Strong mental images are brainwashing 101. Bernays' tactic to use stereotypes for that end, right? They are, he says, uh, are they are more comprehensible than detailed descriptions. <laughs> They're more understandable than detailed, so they are more impactful. Meme-like, so implies the public is not capable or willing to comprehend detailed things, which is plausible, but just an implied assertion or a hidden premise. So the technique of using stereotype is effective at persuading others, according to Bernays. So those who aspire to uh, be astute should resist the urge to use it as a tool of the dark side, of fallacy and being creatures of habit and mimicry. We start thinking in stereotype instead of just using it as a tool. The best thing to do is to create the habit of seeking it out and calling it out as fallacious then we are more likely to see it in our own flawed thinking. The highway to hell is paved in good intention. So even if we think we might be using the tools of the dark side for good, like the monkey's paw, we might not be getting what we expect or just end up adding more pavers on the highway. So why waste time and energy doing that, <laughs> right? Is there time when we want to deceive our enemies? It's probably best to defeat them with logic and reason, but I'm beginning to think that that may be a naive position. Still, it appears using the tools of the dark side will turn us into sociopathic pieces of shit like Bernays, politicians, and the rest of the perception management complex. Not interested in truth, just whatever power money can buy. Ultimately, one would think that the most powerful person acquires the most accurate information and modes of reasoning but that, that appears to be a simplistic assumption. Typically, one would only want to manipulate someone else to believe something untrue. Otherwise, just show them the truth. There's no need for deception. So I don't want to conflate secrecy with deception. We need to keep secrets from malevolent forces. It's a jungle out there. I suppose at some levels, deception and manipulation are justified against hostile forces. Bernays quotes the Lippmann turd who argues for stereotype. These guys, you know, they advocate for stereotypes and it appears that they take to heart, you know, uh, and, and think it's and, and think in stereotype. It's, it's got them this far in life, so apparently they just don't care if it's not broke, right? Uh, they are exploited uh, victims, perhaps, of something. I don't know. Are they? Is there some meme uh, theory-like consciousness exploiting their gullibility and lust for power and control over others via any means possible? You know, is that likely? So we are left to assume they are uh, failed humans, pieces of shit. Perhaps they are uh, recognizing a cognitive flaw in a critical mass of people and are simply capitalizing on that, you know, sans morality. Without getting into a diatribe about whether morality is a social construct or not, it appears to be a natural trait as we see it in the wild, right, in wild animals. So the innate morality is perhaps hijacked by external conditioning. Although I've seen a lot of animals do a lot of really psycho things. I mean, blue jays are the worst. They just kill other birds and animals and fly away. They don't eat them. They just rip them apart, kill them, and take off. Now, all these people, oh, birds don't do that. Yeah, they do. <laughs> I got a lot of blue jays in my backyard. So though some argue uh, religion and uh, explicit morals are from our innate capacities. But like any crowd, people of any specific religion are not monolithic in opinions, beliefs, 
or morals, you know, be they, be they written down or not, right? Bernays claims Littman finds stereotype at the center of the code by which sections of the public live. And stereotype, according to Littman, largely determines what we see, what facts we see, and in what light we see them. The implication is that we are blind to facts if we do not think in stereotype, according to this douchebag, Littman. So while our mental library of concepts or schemata, as well as the attention, obviously uh, limit what we see or perceive, we are not based on stereotype, though we could be infested with it. But I agree that stereotype does influence one's perceptions on that topic, especially if they're not being critical of it. Bernays quotes Marx's Communist Manifesto and claims if you have the editor's pattern in your mind, the editor of the manifesto, why not just the author's frame of mind? Right? Why is that with the editor of the manifesto, not the author? You will see vividly the facts that confirm that pattern vaguely and ineffectively those that contradict it. If you have a communist pattern, you will see what you and the editor happen to see in common. So he's talking about shared apophenia. If I'm interpreting this right, he's implying the manifesto is impartial with both arguments for and against its insane ideology. There are no facts in it against itself, you know, to uh, ineffectively see. Otherwise, using Bernays' logic, I would have seen all those facts in the manifesto as I disagree with it, and I should have seen the facts that confirm my disagreement if they were put forward in that manifesto. But Bernays uh, may have a point about the readers who share the author's pattern, well, the editor's pattern of mind. They will likely make the same false connections as the authors did and be blind to valid connections the author did not make. So it's a form of shared apophenia. Like are like minds just those who share the same patterns of thought, right? The same patterns of false beliefs, right? Um, we can be tricked to see patterns that are not there, like the Kuleshov effect. The Kuleshov effect is an editing effect where the nondescript image can have various uh, meanings interpreted by the viewer, depending on what is cut or juxtaposed right next to it. Alfred Hitchcock explained it with an example of a sequence. A man's face, a woman holding a baby, the man smiles. Right? The interpretation is that he is a kind gentleman. Same footage, same exact footage, but change the middle part to a woman in a bikini, and now he's a dirty pervert. Same footage of the man, nothing has changed in the footage, just the juxtaposition or the, the comparison of the different uh, footage of women, different women in between his smile and his face changes the interpretation. So the same can be done with any image. You can claim somebody looks like they're farting or, or stoned, and we could project that interpretation onto any headshot. But the Kuleshov effect um, can be used to project emotional content onto anyone. I think pretty much any emotion, uh, any emotion onto anyone, right? Hunger, sorrow, lust, jealousy, fear, pride. For Bernays to even mention the word facts in the same paragraph as Karl Marx is clearly an attempt at deception. Granted, 
I just used the word facts in the same sentence as Marx. <laughs> so Lippmann uses his stereotype of a capitalist and a socialist to explain they all think in stereotypes of each other. So he's using a stereotype of each of them to say that they all think in stereotypes of each other. So Lippmann is aware that he is thinking in stereotype and he still does it. Clearly, he has not made the connection that a it is a logical, uh, fallacious, logically fallacious way to think. To clarify, to think all Marxists are imbeciles based on the words and actions of a couple, you know, punks, is truly a stereotype and should be avoided. But to think Marxists are all imbeciles based on the imbecilic ideology that they subscribe to, which by definition puts them in the class, is not just rational; it's mandatory. There is a difference between the definition uh, or, or archetype and a stereotype. The definition of a Marxist is an imbecile who subscribes to an ideology of insanity. So it is not a stereotype, it is the definition. Bernays is referring to bias in the mindset of an uncritical mind. Bernays claims everyone with the same pattern thinks the same way. What is his definition of pattern? I assume he means mental pattern. So then what does he mean by mental pattern? I have to further assume he means the same matter, mental pattern of apophenia, which he never mentions. So I'm being overly generous by filling in his blanks to try to make sense of what he's saying. So I'm trying to find a way for his vague wording to make sense. This is a common trick of the manipulator. Keep it vague. Let everyone interpret it in their own way, which is fine for art. But this book on manipulation is not art. It is a manifesto of evil. One might argue that being critical is a pattern of thought, but we don't know what he means by pattern. So patterns of questioning, patterns of observation, patterns of inference, patterns of attention or patterns of interest, right? Is critical thinking a pattern of reasoning? Perhaps. But if one is not consciously being critical, and looking for fallacies, they are not a critical thinker. Bernays claim of sharing the editor's pattern is a bogus claim. Agreeing with someone does not mean that we share their pattern. A reasonable person might be able to convince an irrational person. With irrational people, it's pretty much chaos taking over the uh, whether they believe something or not. There is no rational pattern to their thought, hence the irrational tag. <laughs> they, by definition, are irrational. So this convincing and therefore agreement does not mean that the irrational person and the rational person share the same pattern of thought. Just because two people wind up at the same destination does not mean they took the same path or will continue on the same path. One might even be there by mistake. 